And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. William Edgar. Uh, Dr. Edgar, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you so much. An honor to be here. You're a professor of apologetics at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, if someone walked into your office today and said, Dr. Edgar, I kind of want to study apologetics, but I'm not sure what it really is. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Uh, what, what could you uh, tell us about apologetics, just to get started? Sure. Well, I like to summarize it as the defense and commendation of the Christian faith. Um, it has a noble history going back to antiquity, and um, the word is used 17 times in the New Testament. One of the key times is 1 Peter 3.15, where he says, um, there's a context for this, which we can get into, but he says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. So defense and hope. Um, it's an uh, epistle about uh, hostile attacks from enemies, and um, so this is not just a little innocent conversation, but presumably those who ask you are um, not innocent, and so he enjoins us to um, give the answer in terms of the hope that we have, but uh, as you you know from the context, you have to do it by lifting up Christ and being gentle and and, Mm. and so on. It's interesting to... um um, understand this as a hostile attack. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, sure. Um, as you know, much of the New Testament was written um, to God's people who were uh, under the pressure and sometimes persecution of the Roman Empire. Uh, Peter begins his letter by uh, writing to the elect exiles in the dispersion and um, these are Christians, and um, he characterizes them as both elect and exiles. Exiles because ultimately this this place is not our final place. Um, we're condemned to um, wander, not aimlessly, um, not purposelessly, but um, because of people who are hostile to us, just as the Jews were in, in the Old Testament. So this whole epistle, the first of Peter, is, uh, addresses people who are suffering, people who are persecuted, people who are sub- subjected to um, unfair rules and so on. And so it's a wonderful letter of encouragement. Uh, it's, very, it's actually a very hopeful letter. Uh, it's not defensive in the sense of, you know, dukes up. But um, the many, many Christians in the New Testament era like many Christians today around the globe, um, are are being persecuted. And so <clears throat> apologetics, among other things, is a discipline that tries to uh, nurture uh, a proper, balanced, reasoned defense and presentation of hope. So uh, when you started here today, uh, you described apologetics as the defense and commendation of the Christian faith. Um, can you unpeel the layers of the onion just a little bit on this word defense? You already have a little bit, but it's okay. just just more. Well, um, 
it's basically in the Greek it's a legal term uh, which refers to getting oneself off of a charge and um, Plato used it you know in defending Socrates um, and uh, our Lord used it uh, a number of times when he he warned his disciples that they'd be dragged up before the synagogues and then fear not what you will say which is the word defense apologia because the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. And um, it's used, as I say, 17 times in the New Testament, mostly, almost always, I think, in a legal sense. Um, not not a strictly legal sense, but with the implication that, say you were in a courtroom and you were in the dock, what would you say to defend yourself? And um, the, 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 the apologetics, uh, has been going for 21 centuries, and it's had many, many iterations um, from a more uh, simple um, experiential defense that was in the early years to a very complica- complex uh, proofs for the existence of God in the Middle Ages, and then to more um, uh, pleading to be... Uh, truthful in an era of relativism in our day. So um, that that's where the defense idea comes from, really. Yeah, that's helpful. This thing of always being prepared, to me, I think it, it touches upon not only the uh, sharpness of the mind, uh, if you will, and, and date in information and that sort of thing, but it has to do with the heart as well, does it not? Absolutely. Um, at the beginning of this same passage, um, he says, lift up Christ in your hearts. And I always think when I'm having an apologetics discussion with somebody, I also need to be worshiping internally um, because my heart has to be right. And I'm asking him or her to make their hearts right. But um, that can't be done with integrity, unless your own heart is in the right place. <clears throat> so, absolutely, it begins in the heart, and it's a matter of um, knowledge, of course, but also of not demonizing other people, um, treating them with respect and gentleness, he says. And that's a that's a heart issue. Um, we center our being, as, as you know, in, in, in the heart, um, and the heart are the issues of life. Uh, guard the heart above all things, Proverbs says. And that's because the center of our lives is where we make those commitments and we live those godly thoughts, uh, or sadly, ungodly in many cases. And um, so we have to guard that heart from um, temptations, from allurements, uh, and keep it uh, faithful to God, so that, like the psalmist, we desire one thing, which is to live in the house of the Lord forever, and that's a heart issue. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Today we're talking with Dr. William Edgar, professor of apologetics, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and we are talking about apologetics. Um, Have you ever met a student or someone who says, well, I'm interested in apologetics, and now I want to, I've learned a little bit, and I'd, I'd like to put it into practice but I'm scared to death, and I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I've learned enough. Are there obstacles that we should be less concerned about? 
No, I think um, that is a legitimate fear uh, for many Christians who are not used to uh, defending the faith with other people. And there are tools to learn how to do this. Um, there's no silver bullet, but there's many wise arguments. Um, here at the seminary where I teach, we have a whole department of apologetics, and students come here just for that purpose, to learn about uh, how, how to commend the faith. Um, and uh, it involves quite a, a lot. It involves understanding the world, developing a Christian worldview, um, choosing the words wisely according to the circumstances, um, not seeking so much to win as to be faithful. Um, and so we try to provide some of, those, some of those tools for them. And it's really fun to see a student go from the place you described to feeling some degree of confidence in um, the defense of the, of the faith. Now, when we talk with people... Um, some of them will be well. Some of them will exhibit this this hostile um, attitude, if I can call it that. I would think that we have to kind of be like water off a duck's back uh, emotionally, and not let that get to us, because there's a, there's a higher level principle here that we're trying to accomplish a loving defense of the gospel, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I would say it's a matter of trying to exhibit love for the person, even though they are attacking you. Now, th that's not always going to work. There are, you know, people that <clears throat> it's a it's a black hole and you're just not going to get anywhere. It's probably wise just to stop the conversation. But for many people, they can be disarmed if they see that you're not treating them as um, an enemy or, or something like that. Right. Um, so it's it's yeah you have to be robust and you have to defend the faith, but you also have to think of the person before you as a a soul who um, you know is has eternity before him. That's and right. You want to help him uh, find the the right way to to that place, and it might be costly. You know, you might get abused. Um, yeah. You might be insulted. Um, that's going to be the case more and more. I think. Um, today, just as it was in the early centuries. Now, uh, how does apologetics tie in to the fact that um, some of the people we talk with are dead in their trespasses and sins, and it takes a miracle from God to open their spiritual eyes, if I can use that terminology? Um, help, help us understand, you know, here's the apologist uh, doing his or her work, defending the faith, and yet God is doing something miraculous in that person's heart. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's like preaching. Uh, you need to have good words, faithful to Scripture, um, but you know that it's not your good words alone that are going to convince the person. Um, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Somebody once called him the final persuader. <laughs> and uh, the good news is that my job is to speak faithfully. Um, it's up to God whether he's going to uh, affect change in somebody else. That's not my job. Um, you know, so I'm under pressure in one way to speak the truth, but I'm not under pressure to convert somebody. Um, it's got to be, a, a, as you put it, a supernatural work. 
Um, so the, it's a wonderful process. The Reformation had this, you know, view that um, the preaching to be effective always has to be accompanied by the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And so um, you have some control over whether you're preaching right, but only the Spirit has control over whether he's going to awaken somebody's heart, and that's God's decision. Yes. Well, this is interesting, and today we're talking with Dr. William Edgar, Professor of Apologetics, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Uh, If someone would like to get into your program there at the school, and uh, they found out about you and they want to come and either take some courses or become a full-time student, how would they go about doing that? Right. Um, So they should go to our website and look at the different um, programs that we offer. Um, The basic ministerial program is the MDiv, Master of Divinity. We have a Master of Arts, which is for people who aren't necessarily called to the ministry, but who want to learn all the skills. Uh, we, we have higher programs, too. We have a Ph.D. program, and um, you do it at the highest level. There's also a way to um, take individual courses. Uh, we've recorded a number of our courses, uh, and so you can do it by distance learning. Um, you can take... Um, courses for credit that don't lead to a degree. So a lot depends on what your needs are and um, what your availability is. But it's widely available. Yeah, that's good. And um, some people will ask, well, I wonder how much all this costs. I'm kind of assuming that info is on the website. Yeah, it is. And you're asking the wrong person because I don't know what it is. But (laughs) I've heard that we're pretty competitive, but... um, we're not, of course, free as we wish we were. Uh, there are scholarships, of course, and um, sure. all kinds of financial aid. But um, yeah, you do um, you do pay something, which is a kind of good thing because if you don't pay, um, not everybody who doesn't pay stays with it. They think, well, um, gosh, I'm going to try this out, and then they they lose track and. But if you've paid, you you're, you tend to be a little more consistent, um, and and also that we do have costs. We've got to, you know, uh, supply um, the means of doing this with resources and salary the people and so forth. So uh, we're very frugal with our with our money. We're very careful. Um, we have a very low overhead. Yes. But but you you know you, yeah you got to pay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, We're talking about apologetics, and some people might, you know, we talked about the miraculous aspect of the new birth. Some people might be inclined to say, well, I, I think it's all miraculous. I think it's all, and they would be right in this, but I think it's all feeling and that sort of thing. There's no need for learning. I mean, you just, you just do what you have to do. What about that person who, who actually, who actually does need to learn that learning is good in the Christian life. Yeah. Well, the Bible doesn't give us the luxury of doing nothing and waiting for God to work. Um, it speaks strongly about um, preaching the Word in season and out of season, um, learning um, the Gospel. Uh, it's, a, it's a very... It's not intellectualist, but it is a... 
uh, rational process. Um, when Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, he also adds, teaching them all things whatsoever I've taught you. So it, it, it's not like let go and let God. Um, there, there's, there's got to be a learning process. And seminary is a good way to do it. It's not the only way. Um, of course, you can have less formal education. You can be self-taught. You can. Some churches have programs. Um, seminary is a good way to do it uh, because it's at least our seminary is, is, has thought out its curriculum very carefully, um, and we, you know, we believe we've got a pretty good meal to offer the mm-hmm. students who mm-hmm. are looking for some solid food. Yeah, that's good. How about for the student that comes there and wants to take courses on campus? Um, he's not doing distance learning. Um, do, is there housing down there? No, that's one of our weaknesses. Um, we don't have dorms. Now, we do, we've had great success lodging our students in the neighborhood. Yes. Um, and we're, there's some funding now to build a dorm which will be wonderful when it happens. But um, uh, we we don't have any homeless students. They they've all and our the landlords like them because you know on the whole theological students are, are pretty faithful and honest and right. Um, so and we have a whole office that uh, student services helps you to find the right lodging. Sometimes um, you can you can have um, a bed against mowing the lawn, you know, or um, take upkeep of the place. Oh, yeah. Um, so it all, it all works out, but unlike some seminaries, um, we don't have student housing. We're working on it. Well, I don't know. I, I don't see that as a terrible uh, negative thing. I, I had some experience myself where an, I went away to engineering school after being at a community college, and for one semester, I lived in off-campus apartments, and then three semesters, I lived with a pastor and his family. Oh, and nice. that was so much better than the yeah. um, living in the midst of deprivation in those off-campus apartments. <laughs> and it was even worse, I understand, probably in the in the dorms. But um, so, I don't know. But that was a secular school, quote-unquote. Well, we have a strong mentoring program. So you mentioned living with a pastor. Now, not every student can do that, but um, many of our landlords are Christians and can yeah. and supply spiritual guidance as well as, you know, food and, and a bed. So um, I forgot to mention that, but it's a big part of our program is, is mentoring. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. To me, that's that's like real world, and it and it really works. The mentoring. Um, in the last um, five minutes, let's talk a little bit about our how you would characterize um, our world today in terms of um, how it doesn't deal with truth, what the needs are from an apologetics point of view. Five minutes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have I have course after course on cultural understanding, and uh, I don't want to make fun of it. It's a good question, but it's um, there are many layers to it. Uh, in uh, the developed Western world, I think we are uh, living off of the uh, capital of the Enlightenment. Uh, 
And um, that means that uh, part of us believes that with human ingenuity, rationality, endeavor, uh, we can kind of get ourselves uh, in, a, in a good place. Part of it is in reaction against the Enlightenment um, because of the disappointments that the Enlightenment led to after two world wars and famines and conflicts and so forth, people are thinking maybe that Enlightenment confidence was misplaced. So we're in a funny uh, kind of dialectic between um, a belief in rationality and um, a serious questioning of that rationality, which is where this whole uh, doubt of truth comes from. And the self, as you know, um, is the new standard for truth. Um, the only thing is, it's not certain who the self is. Mm. So, you know, identity politics is is um, just do what you feel like, become the gender you want to be, become, and, and it's you're you're leaving the order that God has set up, uh, and it's going to crash and burn. Um, but that's a, a overall questioning of the Enlightenment confidence. So mm. that's a cliff notes. I mean, if we went to the majority world. We'd have other issues, uh, post-colonial things, and um, the tyranny of of some of the rulers, the you know demagoguery of of Xi Jinping, and um, they would have that to deal with. We don't have that here. We, you know, we some people complain about our culture, and there's problems, but we don't have uh, demagoguery. It might come, but we don't have it. Yes. Today we're talking with Dr. William Edgar on apologetics, and that's what he does at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, Let's say uh, we talk to new Christians, someone just new in the faith. Um, God, the Holy Spirit, has opened their hearts. Uh, They've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're excited. They want to learn more about the Christian faith. Um, and they've heard about your school, Westminster Seminary, and they realize, hey, I can take a course from them. I can, I can do this remote. Um, would any particular courses come to mind for a new believer? Sure. Um, we Several of us teach a course called AP 101, um, Apologetics 101. It's an, introduc- an introduction to the subject where we uh, present them with biblical arguments, um, basic reading, uh, cultural studies, and then method. Um, how do you discuss the faith? And, you know, that's just as helpful for believers as it is for unbelievers. Uh, believers need to be uh, equipped. Um, Titus, you know, says that elders have to be able to defend the faith. And um, so uh, that's one way to do it. Now, there are plenty of other ways. I'm a product of a community called Labri, uh, where um, there was a residential community and a, a teacher, uh, and we did informal seminars, and we were lodged in families and so forth. And that's a very good way to ground a new believer. Um, church, that's crucial. There, you know, God wants us to um, be in um, a believing church, which is the pillar and ground of truth. And, um, you know, he doesn't want maverick Christians. He wants uh, Christians who are joined to community. Now, not all churches are great, of course, we know that. But um, So, yeah, come to seminary, but don't forget the communities that God has provided for you. Um, 
and and try to get mentored if you can. Yeah, yeah. that's good advice. And one last thing, it, you mentioned uh, church and how crucial that is. Um, we increasingly have commuter-type churches, it seems to me, in my limited understanding. Um, my son happens to be in one on Long Island, and um, even my wife and I live probably an hour away from our church. So it's a little bit of a challenge to really get close to people in an environment like that. Any advice? Yeah, I mean, we live half an hour from our church, and even that is quite a limit. Um, uh, if it's better if there could be a church on the down the street and that you can have regular involvement and fellowship with, uh, with the people. Um, so there's nothing wrong with going to a distant church. And in our case, in the last few months, we've been doing it by Zoom because of COVID. But um, yeah. uh, it's not ideal. The ideal is to be close enough to have um, a, a living fellowship and to be able to take part regularly in church activities, small groups and, and the like. So as I say, nothing wrong with the distance, but much harder. Um, and and I, I hear that because that's where we are. Yeah, kind of have to work at it. Well, I want to thank you very much. Today we've been talking with Dr. William Edgar, Professor of Apologetics, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And in closing, Doctor, would you share with us the website of the school? Yeah, it's just wts.edu. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff like www, but... Um, uh, if you look up Westminster Seminary and Google it, you'll, it'll, that'll come up, but it's wts.edu. And so it's a pretty good website. We've just updated it, and it's full of great information. Well, beautiful information, and we want to thank you very much for spending uh, a significant amount of your time today with our sure. listeners. And Dr. William Edgar, may the Lord bless your work and keep you, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dan. A pleasure. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.